Welcome to episode 154 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, if you've ever had a plan go awry, this episode is for you. We'll talk about trip planning and why it's such a critical part of backpacking. For today's Summit Gear Review, we'll share a valuable book for beginners along with a hack straight from page 104. And we'll wrap up today's show with a little trail wisdom from someone who understood the power of planning. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Well, after celebrating my birthday recently, I kind of went on this personal self-improvement kick and started checking out books from the library on how to establish habits. And one of the books that I checked out was called Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin, and it's all about how to set and maintain healthy habits. And in one of the chapters, she shared some wisdom by Dwight D. Eisenhower, who said, in preparing for battle, I have always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. This reminded me of another quote. I don't know who said it. I'll I'll, I'll attribute it to myself, I suppose. (laughs) In preparing for backpacking, I have always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. So why are plans useless, but planning is indispensable. How are plans and planning different? They seem like the same thing. You do planning in order to create a plan. And if your plan is useless, then why did you do the planning? I mean, the whole purpose of planning is to produce a plan, right? I think the act of planning opens up so many options. Whereas if you have just this plan, things could change. And so the act of planning allows you to learn some things along the way. So you're saying that through the exercise of creating a plan, which may be useless in and of itself, the plan may be, but through the process of creating the plan, you're doing something valuable that prepares you for the trip, even if the trip doesn't go according to plan? Exactly. Yeah, plans change. Plans don't usually account for the unexpected, you know, the good or the bad unexpected. Plans in themselves are just a skeleton. They're black words on white paper, but planning is a process that takes your mind through a minefield of scenarios. I was thinking about this topic recently as well because I read an article about IT project management. I'm an IT guy, and the article was claiming that IT project management is killing projects that by their very nature, a project is solving something that's unknown that hasn't been solved before. Uh, Otherwise, it would just already be automated. So you're writing a new piece of software and you're going to run into issues or problems that you can't predict. Because if you could predict them, then you could have already addressed them through automated processes. Therefore, the idea of having project management for IT projects is a bad idea and it's killing projects. I didn't agree with the article. And I think this is why. Maybe there is never a case where a project is going to go exactly to plan. 
But because you went through the exercise of doing the planning, you probably were able to kind of look out in front of you and foresee potential issues or potential opportunities. And just being aware of them means that when they do crop up, you go, ah, yeah, yeah, we thought about this. Now, we, we might not have the full plan for this, but we thought about this. And because we thought about it, we have some ideas about where to go and how to get around that obstacle or how to grab onto that opportunity that just popped up. It's all because we actually took some time up front to think through the entire project before we started working through the project. Well, have you ever taken a backpacking trip where someone handed you a plan or you simply opened up a book and said, oh, okay, this is what we're doing, and you didn't have to go through the planning process? And how did that affect your experience? I don't know if I have, but I think you have. Remember the Tillamook head hike this past spring where I did all the planning? Yes, yes, I do remember that. I remember the cold, muddy feet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because I read trip reports that said it would be muddy. You just had the digested, yeah. the, like that digested statement of it's going to be muddy. Well, I had all of the trip reports that I read, all of the different perspectives from people who told their story about doing that hike. And so what I verbalized as it's going to be muddy may have been one picture in your head of like, okay, some right. mud, right? Yeah. And it was a different picture in my head because I had read all that information, all those trip reports, and realized that, no, this is going to be muddy in a different way from other trails. Exactly. This isn't going to be normal muddy. This is going to be muddy, muddy. Yes. Let this be a cautionary tale to all of you out there. Yeah. Planning is different than a plan. And I definitely agree. If I had read the trip reports that you read, it would have been a different trip for me, for sure. So for today's top five list, we wanted to talk about the top five things that you gain from trip planning, not just the plan on a silver platter. The process of trip planning can not only enrich your experience, but it can also help you as you plan future trips. The number one thing you gain from trip planning is flexibility. The process of planning allows you to work through various scenarios. Even if none of them happen, you have mentally worked through enough alternative plans in your mind and on paper that you've exercised your flexibility muscle. And this is flexibility in good or bad situations. I mean, you can be flexible knowing that you're in a really good campsite and you want to stay there an extra day and you know you can because you've done the planning. And so you decide to be flexible and stay there an extra day. That's what flexibility can get you. Flexibility is also the skill that you'll need in order to move on. If you're in a bad spot and you know you need to push forward to the next site and you have four hours of daylight left, but you know you can make it there in time. So trip planning allows you to be adaptable. When I was in grad school, the professor who was the director of my information management program was a big proponent of scenario planning. And he taught us that you don't have to just put together a static plan. What you can do is you can look into the future and yeah, you don't know where the future is going to go. So what you do is you figure out what are the possible different directions that the future could go. And then you make a plan that allows you to respond to those different directions. And then when the future actually happens, you can see which way it's actually going, and you've already thought through that path. If the future takes a different path, you've thought through that path too, and you know how to respond. And that's been useful to me uh, on backpacking trips. 
So when I took our two youngest sons to the Trinities last month, the weather was a big question. The planning process helped me to have something flexible. So I had the general itinerary of we're going to do the Swift Creek Trail. We're going to try to get to Horseshoe Lake. The flexibility was, depending on the weather and other factors, we might only go to Foster's Cabin at five miles. We might go all the way to Horseshoe Lake at nine miles. We might spend the nights at Foster's Cabin, or we might spend one night there and one night at Horseshoe Lake and one night back there. We might go all the way to Horseshoe Lake and spend all of our nights there. And we might even pop over to Ward Lake. And if we have to, there's some spots along the trail at the two and three mile marks and other places where we could spend the night. So the plan itself was pretty loose and flexible around this basic structure. And because it was flexible, it meant that if the weather went a certain way, we would do it one way. And if the weather was actually beautiful like it was, we'd do it another way. The number two thing that you can gain from trip planning is freedom. When you skip the trip planning process, you may find yourself zeroing in on one single hike. Well, then what happens if there's a road closure or a mudslide or a fire or a government shutdown or snow? Planning allows you to be open to other hikes that you may not be as familiar with as the one that you zeroed in on, but just be open to it. This will allow you so much more freedom. You'll have the forest view instead of that single tree view. So trip planning allows you the freedom to take the blinders off and be a little more open. Yeah, and if you're like me, I'm a planner. Uh, this can be an endless hole that you go down. So eventually at some point you have to stop. I looked at a dozen different hikes in the Trinities. Well, I had to pick one. But I am glad that I looked at lots of different hikes. If there had been a fire closure on the hike that I picked, I knew about half a dozen other hikes that I could just pop over there. And I might not be quite as fully prepared as I was for the Swift Creek Trail, but at least I would know where the hike was, how many miles, what kind of elevation gain, you know, some basics that I had discovered about those hikes because I had taken the time to survey the forest and not just the one tree that I had picked. The number three thing that you can gain from trip planning is strategy. Josh was able to use his strategic planning skills when he was planning for the Trinity's hike by planning for rain or snow. So he kept checking the forecast and then not only the forecast for that area, but also the weather pattern that covered the entire northwestern corner of the United States. He was able to see this animated view of the weather pattern as it creeped its way across the United States. It's really interesting. It was this gradual counterclockwise spin. Nothing like a hurricane. I mean, they spin <laughs> counterclockwise or clockwise or whatever at hundreds of miles per hour. This just had a slight spin to it as it was coming in. So I knew that uh, the Trinities in Northern California would be just right on the southern edge of this spinning circle of, of rain coming in. There's some people that this aspect of trip planning is really going to appeal to because it uses tools. It uses technology, it uses data. Yeah, you can look up the weather, you can watch for patterns, and then this trip in your mind becomes this mental spider web of information and data. And it also becomes a more fleshed out trip. It's more of a multi-dimensional plan instead of a static plan. The number four thing that you can gain from trip planning is vision. 
As the boys were planning their trip last month, I started brainstorming ideas with them, and I suggested that since snow was in the forecast here, maybe they would enjoy a series of day hikes in the Cascades. Uh, however, through the planning process, Josh had already decided, already had it cemented in his mind, what the vision was for this trip. Two words, alpine wilderness. So anything that deviated from that just wasn't going to be considered. He'd already done enough planning for this trip that he really had a strong vision of what he wanted. I'll tell you, I did consider your suggestions. Oh, thank you. The, the trip to Seattle with some day outings and yeah. some day hikes in the low elevation areas. And I, I really did think about it. <laughs> and I think it was your vision that really helped to drive the direction of that trip to the Trinities. The number five thing you gain from trip planning is future trips. Last year, we were planning for a low elevation trip because all the high elevation stuff had snow. So we found a handful of fascinating hikes that are now on our bucket list. These are hikes with old mines, hikes with rustic cabins, hikes along rivers. We had to pick just one. But now that we've gone through the planning process, we have more places that we can check out. You know what's weird, though? Two of those that were on our list for future are off the list now. The fires? Yeah, the Eagle Creek fire took out the Eagle Creek Trail. Mm. And I don't know if it's open. Anyway, it's going to be a very different place than it was before. I hope it does open up. I think it's very educational, really, to hike in a place like that and to watch as the forest recovers from that sort of a fire. But yeah, it's it's not the trip that uh, that it was. And then the other one I just realized was this trip along the Salmonberry River in the Oregon Coast Range that was along an abandoned railroad track. And when you think abandoned railroad track, you're thinking, what, the 1800s? This was abandoned in 2007. So a very recently abandoned railroad track. And uh, so that's been on our future list. How do you abandon a railroad track? Uh, a big winter storm came through in 2007, and uh, the Salmonberry River just undercut the track in so many places. You can see some photos where just the iron rails of the track are just hanging in the air. There's no ground beneath them as the river cut all the ground out, cut wow. all the soil out below. So it's, it's tens of millions of dollars to restore that railroad. Never going to happen. It's not economically viable to do that. So that's abandoned. Like <laughs> They can't run trains on it anymore, and they can't do anything else. It's just out in the woods along this river. It's fairly inaccessible, pretty remote place. So it's just an abandoned track. Uh, however, about a year ago, they put up all the no trespassing signs and said, nope, no more hikers. You cannot hike this trail. Too dangerous, liability, whatever reason it is. So that one's off our list, too. Yeah, that's so romantic, too. The idea of hiking along an, uh, a railroad track. Old tunnels, yeah. bridges, trestles, maybe some old locomotives or, or rail cars out there. Right. I mean, the storm came through and destroyed the track. There's no way. If there was a train out there at the 20-mile mark, there's no way to get it out. Cool stuff. But anyway, so that's just my little caveat to... Uh, you really will find lots of future trips when you're trip planning. 
you're planning the one trip, but you stumble across all these other opportunities that you have to forego so that you can do the one trip. And most of those opportunities truly will be there next year and the year after. So yeah, it gives you this great bucket of things to come back to. So even though plans are useless, the things that you gain from trip planning are indispensable. For today's Summit Gear Review, we'll be reviewing Backpacking 101 by Heather Baylog Rochefort. Every time I go to the thrift store, I find a couple of old backpacking how-to books, and part of me is tempted to buy them just to see what backpacking was like back in the, quote, good old days. But usually, after flipping through the books for a few minutes, I'm reminded of just how much has changed. This book, Backpacking 101 by Heather Baylog Rochefort, gets everyone on the same page, and it boils backpacking down to this. Backpacking is one foot in front of the other, but it's also a nuanced sport which requires backcountry know-how, some wise gear picks, and some physical preparation that goes beyond being able to hoist a 35-pound sack. We've been following Heather Baylog Rochefort on Facebook and Twitter ever since right when we started our podcast three years ago. She started her blog, which is called Just a Colorado Gal, back in 2005. After she finished college and was like, yeah, I'm not sure I want to do the usual path, she started this blog. And it's amazing to think 2005 was really back in the stone age of the internet, (laughs) it feels like. Like were iPhones even invented? No, that was 2007. Wow. Yeah, so it's way back. Anyway, so she's got a ton of content on justacoloradogal.com, and she's very open and transparent about sharing her life with her readers. So you feel like you really know her personally, like if you met her on the street, You'd be like, oh, hey, how's it going? And, and then, of course, she'd be like, who are I've you? I've never met you before. <laughs> no, I, I don't know what she would say. Anyway, uh, good stuff. She, uh, As of when we're recording this podcast, she's expecting a baby. <gasps> the baby may have come by the time this episode goes out. Exciting. Yeah, and it's going to bring big changes to her in terms of her experiences and what she can share with her readers. You know, up till now, it's all the experience of someone who is just on their own out backpacking and doing other outdoor sports. And then it became the experience of a newlywed out there doing all those things. But now, recently, it's been the experience of enduring morning sickness and wanting to get out there to be active, but being completely uncomfortable at eight months pregnant. Yeah, there's no hip belt that fits pregnant ladies. Yeah, hard stuff. So she's got some personal experience with that now. And if you're in that boat or might be in that boat in the future, I think you can learn a lot from reading her recent blog posts. Of course, going forward, it's going to be interesting to see her experiences getting out there with a baby and how that influences the experiences that she has in the outdoors. This book, Backpacking 101, has all the advice that you would get from a best friend who wanted you to come backpacking with her on her next adventure. There are 13 chapters with topics that include things like mental and physical preparation, clothing, gear, navigation, food, sleeping, hygiene, and emergencies. So it really covers everything that you would need to know for your first backpacking trip. And there's even a little appendix in the back that has information about backpacking with dogs. And there's some metric conversions there too, and a little place for your notes. So it's a book that you 
could take with you, but I think it's more important to do the preparation at home, do that planning at home so you're prepared with the knowledge on the trail. I wanted to open up the book and turn to a page, just a random page in the beginning, the middle, and the end, and see what we can find. Okay. So here we go. Is this beginning enough? Yeah. Page uh, 46. Ooh, this is good. Oh, wow. This is better than I bargained for. So the main topic here is, do your socks really matter? Uh, she says, they're small and they cost more money than you would expect. <laughs> Is it really important to purchase special socks for backpacking? Yes. It's a great question. You're spending 10 bucks a pair or more when you could just go to the local clothing store and pick up a whole package of a dozen socks for 10 bucks. Yeah, so she goes on to talk about different kinds of socks and fibers for socks. Uh, And this is a good example of where the modernness of her book is extremely helpful because fabrics have come a long way. And Sure, in a book that was written 20, 30, 40 years ago, someone could talk about wool. And what else could they talk about? Cotton, nylon. Did they have silk socks? They probably did. I know they didn't have lycra. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone ever used silk for backpacking back then. I'm not sure. But it was a different discussion. And here she talks about wool, for example, and all the newer uh, weaves of wool and types of wool that are less itchy. So back in the day, you might read a book that says, hey, wool is great for these reasons, but it's itchy. But it's not anymore. And it's great to have a book that really just pulls us up to 2017. I think it's interesting. Also on this page, there's a little call-out box that says, how are men's and women's feet different? So if you're interested in finding the answer to that question, it's on page 46 of Backpacking 101. Let's go to the middle of the book now and see what we can find. Is this middle enough? Page 143, this is talking about determining the location of your camp kitchen, you know, figuring out where to cook dinner for the night. Ooh, here's a good line. Although the human nose can't always detect it, food carries a strong scent and it wafts through the wilderness. So that's something to be aware of when you're trying to decide where to cook dinner. She suggests that if you have a dinner with lingering smells or that if there's a high bear risk that you cook before you reach your campsite and that means you're not cooking near where you'll be sleeping a good recommendation clever this girl knows her stuff (laughs) okay let's go to the end of the book random end page oh and there's lots of good call outs in this book i love that little boxes that have helpful information it's really cool okay so page 212 Ooh, this is a list It's part of a list because on the page before is the other part. This is her first aid kit. So if you want to make your own first aid kit, turn to page 211 of Backpacking 101. And she has basic items listed out. And then after that, there's a list of medications that you may want to bring with you. And then after that, a list of tools that you could put in your first aid kit. For mass, this book is the size of a half sheet of paper. And it's about three-fourths of an inch thick. And it's a book that you can read all the way through. It's not solely just a reference book. You can actually read it, and it's a really enjoyable read, and it's a really digestible length. You might not pack it on your actual backpacking trips, but on the other hand, it might not be a bad idea to bring this along on your first trip. And you'll probably want to write your name in the front of the book because after reading it, you'll most likely loan it out to your friends who you want to come with you on your next backpacking trip. 
For investment, you can buy Backpacking 101 brand new for $17. And for trial, I read this book within a few days, but I know it will take me weeks to digest and fully implement everything that I read in the book. There was a lot of new information in there or just things that I'd never thought of before. And I love books like that that open my mind to new ideas and help me to have a richer experience. Now, I said before that this wasn't a reference book, but you can use it as a reference book. It's written ELI 5 style. Ooh, bringing in the brand spanking new lingo here that you just learned last week. That's right. I've been so excited to use this term, and I'm glad I have an opportunity. ELI 5. Josh, you taught me what this meant. Explain like I'm five. And I learned it about an hour before you learned it, (laughs) which is why you learned it. Right. So it's not full of hardcore lingo and, you know, words that are used just by people who are diehards. It's written in a very approachable, welcoming style that makes you feel like you're just one of us and come on, come join us on our next trip, that kind of thing. So it's that feel throughout the book. Plus, the book has a really good index. So if there's something that you can't remember, you can access the index and figure out what a topo map is. And oh, yeah, I forgot. It's the map with all those squiggly lines on it. I think the book has enough of those, you know, pictures and diagrams so you don't have to imagine everything. Uh, It doesn't have a ton of pictures, but enough. So where you're like, what is a draft collar on a mummy bag? And you can look at the picture on page 184 and be like, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It goes around your collar, you know, your neck, and it's a little bit puffier right there than it is anywhere else. Or on page 127, there's a picture of a cairn. And if you're new to hiking and backpacking, maybe you've never seen a cairn before and you can't even imagine what she's talking about. You know, all these stacked up rocks showing you where to go. But now you can see a picture of what they look like and she explains really well what a cairn is. And what to do if you see one. Leave it alone. <laughs> I was going to say, don't get too close. Or, <laughs> or Don't show fear. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They can sense fear. <laughs> you will topple on, topple on top of you. What are those statues in the in Doctor Who? Oh, that's weird. The angels, the destroy not not a destroying angel. What is it? A weeping angel. Weeping angels. <laughs> and whenever you're not looking at them, they're coming towards you. <laughs> that's what Karen's do? Yeah, they're the <gasps> weeping angels of the trail. <laughs> that's creepy. So Backpacking 101 is comprehensive without being overwhelming. And it's kind of a casual conversation without leaving out those critical technical details. We'll have the link to Backpacking 101 in the show notes today. And today's show notes are at thefirst40miles.com slash 154. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, we are taking a hack straight from page 104 of Backpacking 101. In the book Backpacking 101, Heather shares a great idea for using freeze-dried meal bags, where you've eaten the food out of them and all you have left is an empty bag, to store future trash. The great thing about freeze-dried meal bags is they're opaque, so you don't have to look at your garbage. They're sturdy, which means they're probably pretty puncture-proof. They're resealable, and they're somewhat odor-proof to us. Not completely odor-proof, so you still have to hang your garbage with your food. 
And it also repurposes something that you would have thrown away anyway. So after you've eaten your freeze-dried meal out of the bag, keep the bag around, open it up, and that's where your trash goes for the next day. Yeah, you don't even have to rinse it out. Right, because it's just full of trash. That's right. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Stephen R. Covey. He said, Nature bequeaths its own blessing on those who immerse themselves in it. When you're able to leave the noise and the discord of the city and give yourself up to the harmony and rhythm of nature, you come back renewed. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. the mic so I can drop it. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Done. Trail wisdom. <laughs> that was the trail wisdom. That was everything all in okay, one. Okay, <laughs> it's a wrap. <laughs> we need closing music and we are do, done with this do, episode. Do, do, That's do, all they need do, to hear. Do, do. <laughs> <laughs> I hear an airplane. You suppose it's the ghost of Amelia Earhart? I don't suppose that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>